Welcome to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour and Antoine Tirant. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life. We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable. And it's up to you to decide. Will you take control and disrupt? Or allow yourself to be disrupted? We wrote the book about it. And now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area. Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom. All right, so welcome. In this week's episode of Disrupt Your Career, then I'm really happy to be welcoming Elina Tretiakova-Rebuel. That's more of a mouthful than we often have to introduce, but it will become obvious what languages and origins Elina has when she starts to tell us. But in the meantime, I'd like to tell you all that she's a senior leader in the career strategy area for IE Business School between France and Spain and has herself made many big career moves across industries and borders. And we're really happy to be getting company with her today, as she's also incredibly busy, not only with her usual work, but also in worrying about and figuring out solutions for the dreadful situation of war in her native country, Ukraine. Elina, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Claire, for inviting me, and I'm very glad to join. Let's start, as we usually do, with your own career journey. You've navigated an extraordinarily diverse and global career. Can you tell us more about it? Tell us maybe about whether you started with a vision, clear or not, of what you wanted to do and how you've made your decisions to switch from one field to another. I was lucky to start my career in a rotational program for Deutsche Telekom. I was accepted there and I got three rotations in call center, in marketing, in roaming department that helped me understand how telecom company overall works. And then I got team leadership position in human resources where I felt, okay, I I belong here. I started dealing with graduate program recruitment and promotion, with talent development, with learning program structure. Then I got a networking call. You asked me how strategically I was about my career. Unfortunately, not very. I was just going with the flow. (laughs) Terribly common. Opportunity-driven career, I can call it. Then I got a call yeah, from U.S. Bank, who, who enters the region, and I was attracted by a very interesting project. I needed to harmonize HR learning and development practices for a bank who was passing, who was in after-merge and transition stage. So it was super interesting, great learning curve. But then 2009 came. That was not the best year for banking sector. And I decided, okay, uh, I always had this idea that I want to have really international career. I enjoyed working with multinational department, uh, deal with different cultures inside Deutsche Telekom and then inside bank. And uh, I decided, okay, it's time to get an MBA. And finally, I chose a business school. I went there. I felt like culturally, I am very good uh, with the school. I felt quite well. After full-time MBA, yeah, 14 months program, I graduated in the end of 2011. And if you remember, it was kind of um, Chernobyl of the job market. We can call it like this. <laughs> no one was hiring. But I managed to find position in a consulting sector. I moved to Belgium. And I made so-called what we now teach students triple jump. I changed country. I changed industry. And I changed function. I started as a consultant 
of course, with my experience in HR and MBAs, they put me on HR processes. So it's restructuring, reorganization, uh, process improvement, cost cutting. But then one day, CEO came to me. It was consultancy boutique, so we we know everyone. It was very I was openly you know working with CEO. And she told me, listen, I, I think you would be good in business development. And she proposed me engagement manager role. And I started working with eight countries where we were developing our services, traveling a lot and getting experience and getting uh, knowledge how to do business development and consulting sector. Then I thought, okay, I worked three years in Belgium. Uh, I always had this idea to try to live in Paris. So it was, you see, Paris driven career change. And just had an idea about Paris and my life there. And I moved and I started working for competitor as a principal consultant, practically doing business development and companies engagement role. And then suddenly I received a call from my alma mater. I received a call where like the head of career service of IE told, listen, we are trying to internationalize our department. We need people with... Uh, international HR experience with business development skills and IE loves to work with alumni. So I decided, okay, let me try to pass the process of selection. I passed it and I moved. It was not easy to leave Paris. So I left one door dealing with Parisian, like French market, French employer market for IE. At the same time, I started getting a completely new industry from consulting to uh, education. And uh, my mom is a university professor. My grandfather is a university professor. So I never thought about this. Like I, I never thought about this. But this opportunity, what I took, uh, appeared to be very rewarding. So I started from development, uh, classes development for our master in management around MBA students. Then I got promotion. I moved into MBA employability uh, sector where I was dealing with, like I developed course that help MBA students to enter or progress in industrial sector. So I started dealing with employees in automotive, in aerospace, in energy sectors, because I started hiring massively MBAs and promote and explain students how to enter there. And then uh, I got... Last promotion, it's a recruitment engagement role where I deal with companies in the MEA region completely across any sector. I help them structure MBA leadership program or graduate programs, and I help them to hire students and bring them on campus and to hire best profiles for them. During pandemic, I decided it was also time to rethink your career. <laughs> I decided that. I wanted to teach also in other schools. So I stayed with IE. I'm right now visiting IE professor, like only teaching. I do not have uh, other roles. Second, I started teaching in other universities in Germany and in France. And it helps me to develop myself better as a professor. And also it gives me um, understanding of not only in BAIE profiles, but other, other profiles uh, in other regions and other geographies. So it's also very rewarding. Brilliant. So your career has been opportunistic and serendipitous in many respects, but with some clear ability to focus and develop when an opportunity comes along. 
And that's the beautiful story. There's one thing I'm curious about. You said that in your first set of rotations at Deutsche, when you got to the HR department, you felt like you had come home. Tell me a little bit about what was going on with that feeling. What were your intuitions and your experience telling you? You probably compare. Yeah, when I worked for Rome in the department with technical engineers, I thought like, oh my God, I understand much less than them. <laughs> so it was like, yes, it was learning curve, but to a certain extent. When I went to HR, I understood, oh, I can do many stuff naturally just because of my talents, my competencies, my skills. It's kind of coming naturally. And mm. the same I is teaching. It's coming naturally. I don't need to make extra effort. Or the same like during MBA, I suffered a lot with financial uh, financial ah, the <laughs> So and I understood that I can put a lot of effort there in order to receive at least B or B plus sort of normal grade at the same time with other subjects. I was enjoying learning and was receiving good grades just automatically because the combination of my talent, interest, and skills was much higher than, let's say, with something financial. Indeed. And people were willing to pay for you. So it became the, the center of that ikigai of what we love to do. Brilliant. Let's move on and think about all the different interaction that you've had with people, either amongst your peers as an early career professional yourself, and more significantly, in all this time when you've been working with students of various kinds who are looking to start or develop their early careers. What advice do you have for them about the sorts of choices they're making? It's true that in AIA, I have experience coaching starting from bachelor program to executive MBA programs. So, and when we talk about early professionals, usually the first thing when they tell me, Elena, I have no clue what I want to do with my career. It's like this. And they are trying to understand in their mind. They like think, okay, maybe this, maybe, maybe that, maybe consulting, maybe finance, maybe this brand is nice. Sometimes we are waiting like, like an enlightenment. Like we expect that one day an enlightenment comes to us. We feel like something warm in our chest and we understand, okay, this is my career. But it doesn't work like this. So what I'm trying to explain them is how to have hypothesis-driven career. Meaning, make one hypothesis, what you want to do with your career and go test it. For example, what, what I mean here, I think I want to do something business-related at startup. This is hypothesis. So we literally picking something interesting for us and starting to test it. But how we test it? We built our hypothesis, like which industry or job function we might be interested in. And just to explore, yeah, it doesn't mean that we would go there forever. And then... When we start testing it, we do it very pragmatically. We read articles. We talk to professors working in the sectors. We talk to peers who had experience. We talk to alumni. We talk to companies on campus. And then we get this data and we take decisions based on this data. So it's not our brain ideas. It's really data-driven decision. And then if we see, okay, what we collected is working for us, we go and start searching for internships there. 
So we test it on practice. And after internship, we decide, okay, it seems this is the industry and the function I want to continue. Or it seems I would rather have new hypotheses to test. I wish I I had the same smart. uh, (laughs) We'll we'll come to that. Things you (laughs) wish you might have known. We'll come to that. In the meantime, let's look at the demand side. In your role at IE or anywhere else where you've been dealing with employers, what do you see in terms of how employers are evolving in terms of their ways of attracting, retaining, and developing the right talent? What I definitely see is working much better than before that, let's say, when I graduated uh, practically 11 years ago from my MBA program, employers started to concentrate during the recruitment process on company sheet, on skills, on competences, rather than previous experience when they hire talents. So when they come to campus recruitment, for them it's much more important to understand these three parameters and discuss previous experience of the candidate. And what they do well also, I see that I deal with them a lot in, on campus recruitment. Yes, this is the main experience what I had during five years in IE. And if employer is engaging with career professors and career center, if employer is engaging with alumni, let's say business school alumni who entered uh, MBA leadership program or graduate program, and then they get back to campus and they promote this program, definitely it brings employers a lot of possibilities to hire the best talent. And what I also see what they do, they plan better. Let's say, yeah, if it's a business program during one year, employers usually start in the beginning of the program in order to assess and select best talents. So they really plan campus recruiting season. They really plan all parts like application, presentation, networking on campus, interviews on campus, yeah, assessment center. What also they start doing much more, especially for the last two years, is to leverage technology. We understood that we don't need to do everything uh, offline. We might combine offline, online recruitment, but like to collect application, to make presentation, to have career fair, online career fair, completely working right now, yeah, for them. And where I see also very good concentration of the top companies or companies who really compete for talents, they give candidates world-class experience. They really concentrate on this. So they define recruitment process and timeline. They knowledgeable about possible roles for MBAs or for business graduates inside the company across any sector they work or across any geography. They also explain candidates, okay, what would be your metric of success? So what does it mean when we hire you? What what we want from you to achieve? What would be your career path if you join us? Then, of course, yeah, alumni, they engage a lot of alumni. So alumni can talk to candidates and engage them with their story. And the most important, they keep candidates informed. Yeah, they do not disappear. They really inform candidates on every stage. And the companies who are behaving this way, I see they're really winning. They're winning talent. That sounds like a lot of improvements compared to what we've known traditionally And it sounds as though there's an acceleration both in terms of the type and scope of the improvements and the number of companies implementing them. So that sounds really promising. 
So if we turn back to the candidates themselves, the MBAs, the master's students, whatever they are, you've counseled thousands of them in one form or another. What would you say are the typical traps or mistakes that they should be avoiding as they go into their next stage of career? There are many. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's natural. It's natural. I was also doing the same mistakes. First, I would say it's a brand attraction. Let's say student who is coming to say, I want to work for Ferrari. And when I ask, okay, what do you know about the company? What do you know about company culture? What do you know about the recruitment process? What do you know about opportunities? Which type of opportunities for business graduates they give you? What is their career progression for sector? What do you know about salary package? And students tell me, no, I, I don't know. I just want to work for Ferrari. So it's okay when we are attracted by brands, but let's say we need to test all other important parts what are very valuable for us when we build our career. Otherwise, we would spend a lot of time entering specific company. Then we understand, okay, it's not what I imagined. So again, to test your hypothesis is very important here. Second, students starting too late. They should start uh, in the beginning of the program. The moment they enter campus, they should... Uh, involve themselves in the recruitment process because the biggest recruitment cycle for MBAs is from September to mid-December, where 65% of companies are hiring. The second cycle where 35% are hiring, it's from like end January to to like April. And if students decide, okay, I search for jobs three months before graduation, It's May, June, July, where companies just do not hire. And there are no recruitment for MBA leadership program, no recruitment for graduate program. It means they might graduate without offers. That is very, very painful. So starting too late, it's unfortunately a might be costly mistake. Then they might be too limited or too broad on their career. Too limited means like, okay, I want to work only for McKinsey after graduation. And McKinsey is a wonderful company. At the same time, they receive 850,000 applications per year with conversion rate 1.6%. So do you have plan B? Do you have plan C? <laughs> what if McKinsey doesn't work? What you would do? So there are others. There is BCG and Bain also. There are second-tier consultancy company. Uh, there are consultancy boutiques. So we definitely need to, if we want to enter a specific sector, we need to enlarge the list. We cannot target only one company. Or other students, they go to broad. Like, for example, in coaching sessions, they usually ask, in which countries you want to work at graduation? And students say Europe. Europe is too big. <laughs> So where exactly you want to work after graduation? On which industries? And students tell me, I don't know. Across any industry I can go. And then which function? And, and he names me finance consulting and operations. Meaning that if we do not focus, we cannot manage all cycle of preparation to different industries, to different countries, to different functions. And we also might end up with not satisfactory offer. So what additional mistake it's, you know, uh, business school graduates, business school students, they're usually overachievers. 
yeah, it's like A-type candidate or achiever, and they might have extreme perfectionism uh, towards your career development, meaning that they might prepare your CVs or cover letters or LinkedIn like into perfection and do not apply. Yeah, they have fear to decide, okay, where I would go to try myself, or in which recruitment process I might be. And so they need to train, like to train themselves to concentrate on their strengths, on their transferable competences, valuable experience, rather than, you know, perfecting every letter in the CV. And second, if we are perfectionists towards our career, we can't tolerate rejection well. And rejection is inevitable. I have not seen any profile who have not had rejection letter. They just do not exist. And absolutely every person, even extreme high achiever, might receive rejection letter. Of course. Not and everybody fits everywhere. And it doesn't mean that they are inadequate or something wrong with them. It just means that it's learning opportunity. Okay, how can I incorporate feedback from employer in my process? Which changes I can make in my application documents? Maybe I can prepare for interview better. Like, we need to take it as a learning opportunity and return to action. And here it's also challenging because we might be too much in our negative emotions and do not return in action into the right moment. So train resilience during career change process, it's a big challenge for business graduates. And we also try to work on this skill um, during our career coaching classes. And probably the last word I can say here, yeah, it's incredible how many students do not negotiate offer when they receive it. I once made questionnaire among the MBA students graduating, and 54% told me we do not negotiate the offer because we feel too uncomfortable. We don't want to engage in this decision and in this process. And they're scared. It's a lot of fear. They're scared to lose an offer if they start to negotiate. They think they're not good enough to negotiate, especially female candidates, unfortunately, here. Mm. Feel this way. Yeah, it's something about our way. They are scared to look too greedy when they negotiate an offer. So they decide not to negotiate. And this is another big mistake, what we are trying to change, because if you do not negotiate, you do not get good conditions. That is so important because I think that people graduating at a level where there are programs, where people are coming into those programs, there's an assumption that the company pays a flat rate for everybody. And, you know, maybe that's correct. But if you don't test the hypothesis, you certainly will never know. Definitely. So it goes back to, you know, mother's and grandmother's advice. If you don't ask, you don't get. And it's wonderful that you're encouraging your students to be braver about that, even if fear is holding them back. Definitely. Let's move to a different subject and think about something that often comes up for MBAs, which is making career changes across borders and cultures. You've done it yourself. We've done it. We could probably talk all night about what fun and what a challenge it is to cross a border and a culture when making a change. But what advice do you generally think is the most important to be giving to people when they're contemplating and going through a change of that kind? The first thing when I hear, yeah, when, when students tell me I want to work in Europe or I don't care where, where I want to work, uh, I just want to have international experience. I 
ask him, please choose the country wisely. I made myself the same mistake. I thought, okay, I want to stay in Europe after graduation. I was selecting good, interesting job rather than selecting a country. And when I end up in Belgium, I end up in Flemish part of Belgium and uh, Ganda, it's like, you know, capital of Flanders. And I had amazing learning curve with my work at the same time to really integrate and enjoy their country life, I was not capable because my own culture and Flemish culture have not had much in common. Meaning what I ask students, it's research. Please talk to locals from this country. Get expert feedback who are living there. Yeah, Research, read about this country in order to make wise decisions because it's really painful If you enjoy your work, enjoy your career, but you do not enjoy the country you are living in or enjoy not enough. So it's too much effort to put to build your career. And then you understand, okay, I cannot adjust here. I need to change again. So this is probably the biggest mistake what we all can make. Then it's very important to adjust our application documents to when we prepare CV cover letters to which country we are applying. Yeah, we are preparing application documents in Germany or in France completely differently. So to understand this local specifics, to read about it, to talk maybe with recruitment consultants from the country we are targeting, it's very important. Then we need to understand the main players. If you want to work in, in specific industry, we need to resource the market and to see, okay, let's say if I want to progress in pharma sector, I probably need to target Switzerland rather than Spain. So to see, okay, and if I want to stay in Spain and I have the idea that I will work to pharma sector research before, because there is not much development here happening in the industry. So understand the main players and understand like this rules, how to enter the company. What I mean, how to enter the company, it's when we prepare our application we need to find someone inside the company who will read our application and take decision about our interview or about our involvement in recruitment process. For example, if you talk about Nordic market, when we apply online, they react on our applications. So they call back if application is good. But at the same time, yeah, if we think about Italy, that is extremely relationship-driven country, So we can massively apply online and receive no feedback ever. We need to go there, meet people, build network and ask for referral if we want to enter this country. Or, for example, when we talk about France, France is still impressively dominated by executive search and recruitment agencies. Yeah, I was curious to discover that it's like more than 200 recruitment agencies in France, meaning that we need to build a relationship with them because they own the market opportunities. And if we need level professional, we cannot avoid this step. So yet yeah, to understand this rule of the game of every country is very important. Then interview preparation. You cannot just go and be sure that it's easy to convince HR or our future boss that we will succeed in this particular geography as well. So we need to, in our interview preparation, we need to think like 
okay, how my experience aligns well with the job opening, meaning do I have cross-cultural sensitivity? Do I have ability to build a relationship in diverse multicultural corporations? And if I have it, I need to mention it and sell it during interview process. So our future employer in another geography would think that I can bring value in a new geography. And the last thing, of course, no labor law and salary packages. Research before signing up anything because, let's say, if we compare a typical offer from, let's say, Belgium and from US, we need to not just negotiate a salary, we need to negotiate a package. Yeah, in US, they might give extremely high salary, but there is no package attached or very, very small one. And in Belgium, they will give low salary in comparison with US, let's say. But at the same time, it would be medical, it would be help partner to integrate if we move in the country, is to help our children with international school, it would be housing package. So if we calculate all this and bonuses, what we might receive on the roll, we would understand yeah, the real financial situation. So we are prepared to negotiate the salary package and the new geography It's the last, last important seeing what I want to mention in this process here. Very good. Thank you. Now, let's talk about regrets and insights, especially that 2020 hindsight. If you think about 19 or 20 or 21-year-old Elena, what advice would you like to give her? I would love to give a list of advices. And I would try to concentrate on advice that would bring value yeah, for people who right now start in their career. You know, when bachelor students is coming to me and we manage to get good internship for him, I usually give him the list of suggestions how to make this internship successful. Because normally we think, okay, it's only three months internship. It's not enough time to get results or get network. So we do not go there with the plan when we start our internship, yeah? I would love to be myself here yeah, and for 21 years old, be more strategic with my decisions and my, my internships because it's important when you go there to connect with as many people in company as you can. And I myself was too shy to do this. <laughs> so I thought like I'm intern, I'm new. I, uh, second, what we can ask these people, yeah, which projects they are in in order to see opportunities for us. Yeah. Then what we what is very important to have, it's a results tracker where we put projects we are working on, where we put metrics, where we put, yes, small results, what we get every week. So then it's very important to be active, to see, let's say, if we talk to people in another, in another department of company and we see that they need certain initiative to implement, give your helping hands there. So you propose your help, you proactively propose yourself to work on uh, other projects in the company. And then when your internship comes to end, and let's say you think, oh, I would love to receive full-time offer in this company, you return to people, you build relationship, you tell them, what did you do on this project? And you ask about full-time opportunity. So let's say, I wish I had this strategic approach. <laughs> Beautiful. Isn't it wonderful what we can do with years and years of experience and reflection? 
Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about projects you're working on now, something exciting coming up, you know, just before we bring this to an end? I definitely, for the last two years, I developed a lot my own private career coaching practice. And mostly I work with experts. It's experts' profiles aiming to build international career in Europe. This is where I can bring the, the biggest value. And my typical client is like expert who moved in European country and he finished his assignment and he wants to stay in this geography. So he needs to understand the uh, local market rules. Or it's woman who got married and moved to new geography, or maybe her partner moved to his international assignment and she wants to find out opportunity for herself in a new market. Or it's business school graduates, just fresh graduates who might work in, like who search for starting international career. Or it's business school graduates with 10 plus years of experience who understood, okay, I'm in, in the moment of career redesign and I need to redesign it properly. So this part I was proposing, but what I added last year, and that's worked quite well, you know, I started doing interview preparation with partners. Let's say if person wants to enter tech sector, I make interview preparation with a person who was Amazon recruiter for the last five years, and she understands how tech sector works. If person wants to enter into finance, either it's you know, VC or like big uh, finance corporations. I work with Morgan Stanley uh, employee who helped me prepare candidates for this typical finance interview. And in consulting, I work with McKinsey consultant where we help candidates like really to prepare for interview feed in consulting sector and especially for case interview as it is very challenging. There. And you know, this collaboration brought us much higher results. So we candidates started receiving much more offers and uh, feeling more happy. And the last service, what we decided to implement last year, it's service for executives, it's career change process outsourcing. Because executives usually they work yeah, 12, 14 hours per day. Uh, very challenging jobs. They also think about their privacy. You know, they're not going to tell to everyone that they want to change. And we outsource all the process for them. So we prepare CV, we prepare motivational letters, their LinkedIn profile, start networking on their behalf, start applying on their behalf. So they only involve in the process when there is a networking session or when there is an interview. Fascinating. And it's really working well because I think I'm trying to engage students or personal clients that oh, career change is a joyful mm-hmm. process. Some people really would love to outsource some part of it and we provide services. Yes, there's often a huge gap between the desire to change and the motivation to do the work involved in making the change happen. Correct. So it sounds as though you've snapped up a really interesting opportunity. Elena, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing all these different perspectives on so many different aspects of career development and career management. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing so openly. It was really a pleasure for me, Claire. Thank you for inviting. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did. Do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.